I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Burrow is a furniture company known for timeless design and thoughtful construction and free shipping. And that extends to their outdoor collection. Their outdoor furniture is built to withstand the elements. Featuring rust-proof stainless steel hardware, weather-ready teak, and quick-dry foam cushions. For Memorial Day, get 15% off your Burrow purchase at burrow.com slash ACAST and up to 25% off outdoor. That's up to 25% off outdoor furniture at burrow.com slash ACAST. With the Kepa situation, it's a clear mistake. It's a clear mistake that, you know, has, uh, has cost us because at that point we go on to have a penalty, which we maybe score, and it could, you know, those fine margins change games at this level. How do you solve a problem like Kepa Arizabalaga? That is the question this week, Chris, and one that you looked to find an answer to with two great guests, two world exclusives. Um, not to not to get hyperbolic. <laughs> yeah, it feels like every conversation with Kepa gets hyperbolic, but we, we sat down with David Cartledge, who works for ESPN UK and is a, a Spanish football expert, I would say. Um, we also sat down with David Priest, the former goalkeeper, now a goalkeeper coach for Ostersunds in Sweden. And he gave us some fascinating insight on the technical aspects of Kepa and what he thinks the, the future holds from there. And the same with David, just to get that historical context in terms of what was he like at Athletic Bilbao? What does he see for his future in, in Spain? So a nice, a nice couple of conversations with a pair of Davids. <laughs> Before... We get to David. It is pretty remarkable when you do look at Kepa's situation, given that, as we know, he's the most expensive goalkeeper in football history, signed by Chelsea for, for 71.6 million two summers ago. Just 18 months ago, that infamous moment in the cup final where we refused to be substituted by Maurizio Sarri, full of self-confidence, you might say, full of self-regard, to the point we're at now where on Sunday, yet again, at fault, for Chelsea, it's a pretty remarkable fall for Kepa, Chris. Yeah, it's a really stark contrast. And I think in a funny way, that cup final moment for me really articulates the disconnect between player and club here because he obviously thought he was doing the right thing in terms of, I think I'm the best person suited for this situation and I'm going to stay on the pitch and I'm, I'm going to go against my manager because I think that's how we win this game. But actually, what that did was it caused problems for Maurizio Sarri going forward. I think it undermined Willy Caballero, who, again, is an incredibly experienced goalkeeper. He's not someone that was, you know, a young 20-something that was kind of coming to this position. So I think it's a real shame that really that is the first instance where you say, is this ever going to be fixable? Like, the, we said it at the time, is there any coming back from this? And I think you can almost in my opinion chart the downfall from that moment because now we're looking at a goalkeeper that he doesn't even have that self-confidence anymore and we did kind of cover that a little bit with David Priest the the idea of being 
in game flow and overthinking decisions and how you get back to that state. Because I think for goalkeepers, momentum is really vital. I have to say, um, I do feel some sympathy for Kepa. Um, I know not many Chelsea fans do. Um, from what I can can gather, my conversations with with Rory Jennings, um, Kepa's time is is up, according to to him, um, and according to Frank Lampard as well, who, despite saying at the start of the season that Kepa was his number one, that Kepa was his goalkeeper, has, as expected, signed a new man between the sticks who we expect to be first choice, and that is Edouard Mendy from Rennes um, for twenty two million pounds. Mendy is is an interesting one to me personally because I haven't seen mountains and mountains of, of Ren or specifically him last season, but his career trajectory seems to have been quite meteoric. Um, I think as we'll come to realise with this podcast, you can't really isolate a goalkeeper, I think, in the same way that we would like to and say that it's just on them. I think, yeah, there's, a, there's an element of talent or quality attached to a goalkeeper, but you have to, I think, apply the context of the team, the style, all of those other moving parts when you come to a real holistic conclusion on what a goalkeeper is bringing. And I think in, in that aspect, it'll be fascinating to see how Mendy transitions to that um, because I think it's it's a big job for him. It, from what I had read, Petr Cech was incredibly involved in this signing. He himself was an incredibly good goalkeeper for a long time in the Premier League, so you would think there's an expertise there attached to that decision. I think it's as much a test of, of him as it is uh, Mendy and his qualities. Mm, it's going to be fascinating to see how Mendy works out, how it all works out for Kepa as well. And on that, let's hear from you, Chris, and former goalkeeper, journalist and goalkeeping coach, David Priest. Oh, given by Kepa. Arisa Balaga, another catastrophe for him. And Sadio Mane has his second. It's totally gift wrapped by the goalkeeper. Look at that reaction to giving the ball away. The anger, then the anticipation. Forget Kepa. We know he takes a chance. Mane knows he takes a chance. It's brilliant from the Liverpool forward. David, thanks for joining us. Kepper is undoubtedly one of the major talking points of the Premier League right now. And I know you've had a good opportunity to watch him for an extended period. How would you evaluate him technically, both good and bad? Well, I think from uh, from that point of view, I think you, you have to look at uh, some of the goals that he's conceded. And initially, I was very suspect about his... Uh, about his technique, I think you know he came into the Chelsea side, and there was a reason why he was bought. You know, uh, Maurizio Sarri wanted to, a keeper that was very good with his feet. Uh, you know, he wanted to play a certain type of football, and and that was the criteria for him coming in. And I think if you look at that, that aspect of it, he is very good with his feet. You know, despite him losing the, the goal to 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 Liverpool uh, with Mane closing down at the weekend it it, it goes be that goes beyond his his technique if you look at his passing range he's got a really nice right foot he's got a really nice uh, feel for the ball um his mid-range passing you know just 
uh, over the top of the, the first and second lines of press, dropping it into strikers or uh, to to full backs wide and high up the pitch. He's got a really good feel for the ball, and, and I really like that part of his game. But when it comes to to shot stopping, you know that that's been the big uh, the big talking point really. You know, I think from last season he was rated the worst keeper in Europe in the in in all the top divisions uh, in the top leagues in Europe, and that was simply because going by a lot of metrics, he was he probably conceded eleven or twelve goals more than he uh, than the average goalkeeper certainly in the Premier League would have would have conceded. And of course, that there has to be context given to that as well, um, because of the, the the shots that he's faced and perhaps the the defensive frailties of uh, of the Chelsea defenders and uh, from set pieces as well. But that that's what that's what that's one area to that that really you do have to you do have to uh, put under scrutiny. And for me, we can talk about. Technical aspects of his, uh, the way that his actions that he, he goes to to save the ball, and I make a lot of his of his arm swing, and simply that's just because there's a lot of close range shots or mid to close range shots from like sort of twelve uh, shots and headers from like twelve yards and and closer, where he, when the shots are coming in at pace, he just simply doesn't have time to to, to make those movements. Um, from the shots around the edge of the box, it's it can be a valuable asset, you know, where you can if you you've got that plenty of time to to make sure that your arms in the correct position to, to catch the ball at least save the ball. Um, but I, I remember from I think it was Arsenal game last year there was a, a header from about ten yards where it goes past him at close range and he's just not able to react and like I said. It's it's maybe it's not the technique itself that's at fault, but it's just the the timing and uh, and when he uses and employs that technique. I'm glad you mentioned that actually because I don't know if you saw Jonathan Wilson wrote a piece about Kepa this week, in which he said Lampard teams concede a disproportionate number of two particular types of goal: cross set plays and counter attacks. Both leave a goalkeeper exposed. Both yield chances that are relatively easier for the attacking player to convert close-range headers and one-on-ones. Not all shots are equal. When you're analysing Kepa, is that something that you would subscribe to? Yeah, I, I would do. And, and through uh, through my research as well, I go through a lot of um, a, a lot of data analysts and, and, and companies who, who do this sort of thing. And, and at the end of the day, I think the, the, the common sort of opinion is that these chances, and maybe he's not... Not as difficult as 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 maybe that defense is, uh, that uh, that Jonathan's made of him. The, maybe he's not the most difficult save to make, but when when it comes to being in a, a moment like he is now, where everything's under scrutiny and everything's, you know, every goal that goes past him is is given sort of more focus. I'm thinking about the the goal uh, against Brighton with Trossard, where people say, "Oh, you should be saving that," and um, that you know that your average goalkeeper should be saving that. It, it's not as not straightforward as people think, and I think that you know from a goalkeeper's perspective, when the the shots coming from an angle through bodies, there's a vicious dip on the ball. Certainly in the the latter stages of the of the shot, it, it makes it less stress uh, straightforward. And um, 
like I said, there is goals that I think that he, he can do better at and, and that he can that he should be dealing with better. But a lot of this now, especially the, the incident against Liverpool, it's an accumulation of things. So the more scrutiny you put under, the more pressure that comes on you, not just for media, the the challenge that um the challenge that he's got now is that he's perhaps being questioned by the players in front of him, being questioned by his manager. That's when the average shot or a, a, a regulation shot that's expecting you to save in your head becomes much more difficult because you're thinking about the processes of the save and what you should be doing rather than actually just being in the moment. And I know people say it when we refer to athletes as, as being in the zone. That, that He's not in there at the moment. He's not in a game flow. Every everything that he's he's doing now is being overthought, and that process is getting in the way of him dealing with shots and, and dealing with different situations. I know recently you've talked about Kepa needing to be in game flow, and that right now every action of his is conscious. If you can, speaking from a coaching perspective, how could Chelsea's coaches build towards that end goal of him being in game flow? I think a lot of it's down to preparation. Um, from a coach's perspective, there are things that you can do to try and make uh, try and make sure he's in the best frame of mind uh, pre-match, and whether that's you know you've got to assess the, the the frame of mind of that goalkeeper, and you have got to assess how much focus needs to be put on the mistakes that he's making, or actually go a lot deeper than that. So, for example, you know, in a one-off situation, if if that was an isolated incident against Liverpool, it's not worth going revisiting because, or it can be just a it can be brushed under the carpet. It's a one-off, and that you don't need to pay any attention to it, in in, in my mind. But once all these things start creeping into your game, the the errors become more frequent. Then it's not about working on technical issues; it's working on about mental issues. And now, how you go about that is, you know, from different coaches, they they will go about it different ways. But once you get to a point where you can see that it's not just a specific type of goal that he's conceding, when it becomes um, decision errors, then. It could be time to strip everything back again. So, if you if you make the analogy about a, a team that isn't playing well and that's losing a lot of games, for me the best thing to do with that team is a new manager coming in is simplifying everything. And it's the same with goalkeepers. The best thing to rebuild somebody's confidence is just stripping everything right back. And one of the one of the big things for me around goalkeeping is making sure that the fundamentals uh, adhere to, and, and not just adhere to, that they are mastered. And that's where you get your confidence from. And if you simplify your game, it makes, um, it gives you le- le- it gives the goalkeeper less room for error. So perhaps if you're in a moment that you, you know, that you, you concede goals from back passes, that you, you know, you, you your distribution isn't great, then you simplify it. You give yourself 
one option or two options. One's just to clear the ball. Two is to find the uh, find the target first away from goal, trying to drop it into strikers. Um, but we're talking about players who are at the very top level, and and this is where there's there's two sides of the coin for me. One, you do not get to that uh, that that level of football when you when you. We'll go on to. We'll, we'll probably go on to the, the the transfer fee later on, but when you're playing at the level where you're fighting for championships and Champions League football, then you have to have a certain amount of mental strength to to get there, and and to beat off all competition uh, along the way. In you know from a young age all the way up, and this is probably where the the one thing I'll come back to about Kepper is that. When he came to Chelsea, that was the first time that he's probably had to deal with real pressure, real setback. So he'll have made mistakes before. He'll have he'll have come bounced back from from them. He'll have been through short periods where he maybe he's not feeling a hundred percent in and in that game flow. But now he's in a position where it's been an extended period and it's at the, he's at the very pinnacle of of the game. So the pressure is so much greater, and. And now it's he's in a he's finding himself in a place where he's never been before, and and a lot of goalkeepers experience that. John Pickford's probably gone through it last season, um, or since the World Cup. You know, you don't know how you're going to deal with those situations until you put into it, and um, and from a from a coach's perspective, that's where. Your experience, either working with players who have been through that uh, experience before, or your own experiences uh, as a goalkeeper, you can draw on them to to try and make that connection with them. And, and like I said, it's we can go in about working hard, making sure that the fundamentals are right in your goalkeeping, and that um, you're working on the the surface of the game. But for me, it's about a deeper concepts for that, and that's about, uh, and that leads back to to what you find inside yourself, and and sometimes it's it's a, it, it takes self reflection rather than just you know what how a goalkeeping coach or, or coaches can help you do. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Burrow is a furniture company known for timeless design and thoughtful construction. And free shipping. And that extends to their outdoor collection. Their outdoor furniture is built to withstand the elements, featuring rust-proof stainless steel hardware, weather-ready teak, and quick-dry foam cushions. For Memorial Day, get 15% off your Burrow purchase at burrow.com slash ACAST and up to 25% off outdoor. That's up to 25% off outdoor furniture at burrow.com slash ACAST. I'm curious as well, in the wider context, when it comes to goalkeeping analysis, it can appear quite a linear discussion. I know Gary Neville said that he doesn't feel all that comfortable evaluating goalkeepers because he doesn't have that expertise. For you, what is the biggest misconception 
we have when it comes to evaluating goalkeepers? It's a good question, that. I think the the, the fact that there's, there's very little nuance in it, and I, I think that... I, I, I've said this a long time ago, and it's, it's probably how I started off sort of... Um, my career in in media assessing goalkeepers it's the fact that it's it's very black and white if if somebody makes a save it's a great save if they make a mistake it's awful and it doesn't seem to be much in between and 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 also there's a it's the uh, perception of goalkeeping as well i think of the position a striker scores goals and they're celebrated a goalkeeper makes saves and that's their job. That's what they're they're there for. That's what they're supposed to do. So there's no real celebration or no real appreciation of the of the work that they do. And I think that's I don't know why that's a that's a very British thing because you know you look at other other countries with a strong um, strong goalkeeping uh, backgrounds, the likes of Russia and Germany. You know, goalkeepers are celebrated a lot more than they are in England. The, the, you know, it's still tied to that. Um, still tied to that all stereotype that goalkeepers are, are there because they're the worst football on the pitch, or that they weren't very good at out being outfield players. Rather than, you know, like I said, you know, you mentioned Jonathan Wilson done a great book called The Outsider about goalkeep, really just the history of goalkeeping, and talks about the great Russian goalkeepers, uh, Dasayev and, uh, and and people like that. In, uh, and Lev Yashin. These people are like uh, were were celebrated as heroes, and and unless you're at the very top, you, know, you look at English goalkeeping now. I mean, you know, you look back at people like even David Seaman, David James, Joe Hart. Uh, you know, they're very rarely celebrated in a universal sense. Um, you know, it's always. David Seaman, people talk about Ronaldinho, Calamity James, Joe Hart against Iceland. That's what's mentioned first, you know, and, and there's no really appreciation for what they've actually achieved in the game. Someone like David Seaman is somebody who, for me, made goalkeeping look easy. He wasn't a spectacular goalkeeper, but he was effective playing in a great defensive line and he was, he was a perfect goalkeeper for Arsenal uh, in the time that he was there. Um, and and even I mean, maybe we could talk about Peter Shilton, but you know, leaving aside it, 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 what people have uh, the the conception uh, perception they've got of him now because of his, his Twitter feed, that that that's, that's somebody who's again who worked so hard at his game, uh, and if not for another a very goal, very good goalkeeping, Ray Clements would have had over 150 caps for his country. And, and somebody who, um, like, you know, maybe maybe it's because he didn't have the career that he didn't play for the big clubs at the time, uh, apart from when, you know, or the big successful clubs at the time, uh, apart from Nottingham Forest, who were European champions. He's not really celebrated as much when really we... We sh- we should be giving these these fellas a lot more credit than what they what they are given. I feel like I have to to get your opinion on this. In simple terms, should Chelsea cut their losses with Kepa, or is there a redemption arc that's waiting to be painted here? 
yeah, it's a it's a difficult question. I think because of the the financial outlay in there's no getting away from it. You know, they bought themselves a twenty million pound goalkeeper for seventy million pounds, and for that, you know, you have to say there's an error being made there because they haven't bought a seven million, a seventy million pound player. Now, of course, they can they can also say that well, we gave him a seven year contract, so we knew it, it was for the long, real long term, and we want them to be here for 10, 15 years. And be a mainstay of that side, and that seventy million at the end of those ten years. You know, if you think, well, it's realistic. Uh, it's realistic to think that they could have spent that money on three keepers in that time, at least three keepers. It it wouldn't be a. It wouldn't end up being a huge financial outlay. But when it comes in terms of what they've had uh, in value for that. So far, they've had nowhere near that value. When you think of someone like Alisson, who's coming in effect, he's out of Liverpool. Um, it, it, there's no comparison, really. But I just I just think that... I, I always... I talked about before about coaches drawing back on their own experiences. Uh, uh, in situations like this, sometimes I can get emotionally involved in, in my assessment of goalkeepers and, and how I want them... how I want things to go for them. John Pickford's a perfect example of that because... You know, I've got a big connection with him through Sunderland, and he's a he's a guy that I I really like as a as a person, and so you you feel like you you need to defend these uh, these goalkeepers, and because you know exactly what they're going through, you've got a lot of empathy for them, and it's the same with Kepper, you know, and being through a situation myself where you, you you're out the side for two years, you've received a lot of criticism, and for me. The biggest way for, that I got out of that, and the, the the big motivation that to get out of that situation was to, to prove everyone wrong, and I think that's that's got to be his main motivation now. And whether whether che- no matter what Chelsea want to do with him, whether Chelsea do want to cut their losses, I think that has to be his his main drive now is to prove everyone wrong, and however he goes about that, and however Chelsea go about that, like I said, it's they can. There's a myriad of things that they can do, but at the end of the day, that he's got, he's responsible for. You know, coaches can do whatever as much as they can, but for him, the responsibility performance lies with him and, and him only. And um, it, it's a, it's a big, uh, it's a big ask for him now because it seems like the, the, all the cards are stacked against him now. But for him, he's got to think about what it'd be like, you know, in a year, two years' time if he comes through this improves everyone wrong how good that's going to feel David it's been a real pleasure talking to you if our listeners would like to find you on social media where can they do that yeah they can do it on uh, on Twitter uh, my handle's David Priest 12 that's David Priest 1 2 so uh, you normally find me giving my nuggets of uh, golden nuggets of information there on goalkeeping This is David Cartledge, editor for ESPN UK and Spanish football journalist. The first question I've got is, can you put into context for me how highly thought of Kepa was in Spain when he joined Chelsea? Um, I'd probably say he had a similar, if not more, level of expectation over him than David De Gea had before he left for Manchester United. 
Um, they were both at similar junctures in the sense that they had on, you know, they were they had just established themselves as the as the, re- as the regular goalkeeper, um, and and they come in and uh, replace somebody who had been a significant presence in the goal. In the case of Pepe's um, position, it was Zarafov, very legendary goalkeeper at Athletic, and uh, for for the Gea, uh, you know, he had as well. Um, so there's a lot of expectation, and, and he was after that season in which he played. For athletic, and he'd established himself. It was quite a degree of, um, you know, they were like, "Oh, this kid's gonna battle De Gea for uh, the number one jersey with Spain. He is one of the best uh, goalkeepers coming through at the moment." And the transfer fee is something that seems to weigh him down quite considerably. Was, yeah. was there any shock when you saw that go through? I appreciate it was a release clause, but was there any mm-hmm. shock for you when it did go through at that at that value? Yeah, I mean, I knew when if he was going to go, it would only be for the re- release clause because uh, that's how Athletic feel. They they literally would rather let him walk for free within the five years where he had left on his deal than than uh, <laughs> than like they go under that release clause. Just how they do business, and then I admire them for doing it. So I wasn't shocked that it was that fee. I was just shocked that somebody actually did pull the trigger because I saw what Chelsea were doing, and 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 what they thought, okay, there's potentially a world-class goalkeeper here. Um, and he'd established himself enough to, to, to justify it as well, I think, almost, um, in, in the sense that he did look very confident, he did look wise beyond these years. Um, so I understand on that level why they did it, but it was obviously a big risk, and I think they thought it was worth taking for a goalkeeper. Because when you buy a goalkeeper, they probably thought, right, we're paying this amount of money, we're going to have him for 10 years. So mm. I think that's how they justified it. Um, but yeah, I was shocked. You always are a little bit shocked sometimes when somebody puts that amount of money through because it, it, it happens quite quickly when it does as well. They, they come in, they go to the offices, the league offices and deposit the clause and then it's done and it's a big amount of money. And it feels like a little bit to me, I look at David De Gea and I see a goalkeeper that arrived in England and had those similar kind of criticisms, if you will. Are yeah. we just watching Kepa go through choppy waters? Is there a, a potential where he's still in your opinion, either goes back to Spain or wherever and rediscovers that potential and that path that he was on? Yeah, absolutely. I think he re-establishes himself. I think the Premier League is such a different beast for a player going. I think after that release clause was paid, there was obviously going to be a lot of burden on him there and his young shoulders. And, and like I say, he only just established himself at Athletic. Um, and Athletic is such a bubble for players and sometimes they don't like coming out of it. Uh, Laporte before he joined Manchester City was a little bit reluctant in a sense because he was thought, okay, I've got a nice lifestyle here, great city, everybody loves me, um, and I'm just in a good position here. The, the scrutiny isn't too severe, and I thought Kepperwood was going to be like that. Um, it turns out he wasn't. So I think I can envision him going back to Spain at some point, um, it, it, or, or potentially going loan to, to Germany or somewhere like that. And when we talk about that route out, can, can you articulate for me what the perception of him is in Spain right now? They're very, very concerned about it because there isn't much faith in David De Gea right now. So they're seeing another potential, you know, world-class goalkeeper kind of slip by the wayside. So there's great concern. Um, and yeah, his errors do get highlighted uh, in Spain, as De Gea's do as well. Um, there's a lot of reporting that goes back and the Premier League's got such a big uh, spotlight in Spain. So, yeah, people, you know, seeing all the blunders and just, you know, they're looking at it and saying, well, they see English teams as uh, as mad somewhat in terms of how they just come in and, and pay that sort of money straight away. 
um, that they find that crazy, absurd to do. When you look at it when Real Madrid were trying to get to here, they wanted to pay as little as possible for him, um, you know. So they would never come in and pay seventy six million off the bat like that. So that's always one as well. So they were a bit shocked when 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 it did happen and they paid that money and they paid that release clause. Um, so you have to look at it like in that sense. Um, and I think they understand the burden that's been on Kevin's shoulders and the spotlight the Premier League is in. But at the same time, yeah, they've seen he's made some errors and, and he probably's left a little bit too early, maybe a year too early. That's fantastic. David, if the people want to find more of your wonderful work, where can they do that? Yeah, sure. Just follow me, David Jacker, on Twitter. That's David, J-A-C-A. And also Talking La Liga, all one word, on Twitter as well. Well, that was fascinating. Um, Great stuff from David Cartledge. Thanks so much to him for coming on the podcast. Uh, And David Priest as well, Chris. I have to say, as much as I love David Carlidge, and I do, to have David Priest on uh, is, is an honour to have him on the front three. <laughs> yeah, it's funny. I said to David afterwards that whenever I talk to him about goalkeeping, whether it's over DMs or a conversation like that, I usually end up on a sports website trying to buy goalkeeper gloves, thinking this is my new path now. This is how I want to spend what time I have left playing football in between the posts becoming that last line of defence. It was it was fascinating to hear that point of view from him as well. And I just think with Chelsea as well, there's going to be so much to speak about this season. I do think their story, Kepa aside, is fascinating and they're going to be one of the most interesting teams to watch in terms of how the situation develops, the team they've built, how Frank Lampard deals with that. I mean, just before we go, do you feel confident about Chelsea this season, given all the complex moving parts and, and expectations that are on this side then? I think the concern I have with Chelsea right now, and I think some of it does relate to Kepa, but maybe not in the way that we think, is how Frank Lampard strikes a balance with this team. Because when I looked at the game on Sunday, again, yeah, Kepa is the major talking point. The second goal is potentially his fault. But I look at that instance with Andreas Christensen's red card and I think, you know what, yeah, there's an issue of trust between Christensen and Kepa, but it also shows how much space there is between Chelsea's midfield and its defence. And Lampard has a slew of brilliant attackers now that he can pick from and he has to find a solution for that, I think, in terms of where you place them. But I also think he needs to manage the transitions as well when they lose the ball. Because right now I haven't seen that quality from them yet. And look, it's it's still very early. But I think, as we touched on there with David, the piece that Jonathan Wilson wrote about the type of chances that Chelsea are conceding right now, I think if Lampard can't get a grip of that situation, and it likely starts with who he picks in central midfield, then I think he's going to have a really difficult season. And there is a certain level of expectation on him because he has been indulged in the transfer market. So... I'm not as convinced personally right now that we're looking at a a title contender, but if he gets things to click, it will be a different story. I think that's the big question right now. Mm, It's going to be fascinating to see how it all pans out. Um, For now, Chris, fantastic podcast, fantastic interviews. Where can the the whole, where can the listeners find more of you? I'm on Twitter at K-H-E-N-E-A-G-E beautiful i am on twitter at adam bold guys uh, and we're all at the front three so come and follow us there until next wednesday 
Have a great week. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market.